my pleasure to introduce to you Ed Chan. Uh, I lead a, a home group at St. Albans, and it's a, a really, really amazing group of people. And one of the couples that is with us is uh, Ed and Enshin and their delightful little girls. And as I've got to know Ed, um, he's a man that loves the Word of God, and I'm always uh, struck with the wisdom with which he shares in our life group. And so I've asked him, I just said to him, you know, when your, your kids get a little bit older, Christmas changes, doesn't it? And when your kids are young, Christmas is always a delightful thing. So I just asked him to share this morning, and I'm going to pray for him, and then we're going to open our hearts and hear what God's going to say through him. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for Ed and Enshin. Thank you for the family, and thank you for the gifts that you've given Ed. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, as uh, he shares with us now, that you would refresh him, encourage him. And Lord, we open our hearts to your word once again, and we ask, Lord, that you'd come and teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that this Christmas would not just be another Christmas that passes. I pray, Lord, that it would be significant in our hearts and in our lives, and that would change our future as we reflect again on what you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, you got it? Well, thank you very much, Ant, and thank you very much, Helen, for trusting me with Christmas Day. Um, normally, it's a small turnout, out, but uh, you guys have done well to, uh, to make it this far. Um, who's traveling after this? Who has to travel a long distance after this, uh, after this service? Or are you all well embedded now in where, where you've got to be for Christmas? Anybody traveling after this? Okay, there's a few of us. So, you know, I, th- I really thank God for, for this church. Um, my family and I have been in this church probably since September, September last year, so just over a year. And uh, we've been incredibly blessed by, by the guys in this church who have preached and taught and led, like Alan Corbus, uh, um, <coughs> sorry, Helen and Corbus, uh, Tox, and everyone else. And just be such an encouragement to be in this church. Um, and when I think about Christmas, I, I, I always think about thankfulness. I always think about how, how many of us are so blessed to be part of a church community which celebrates Christ. Um, I'm so blessed to think about, uh, we're surrounded by friends and family uh, where we are loved and on Christmas we are not necessarily going to be alone. But um, I'm very aware that uh, as we reflect on, on the news or reflect on society today, there's a lot of um, places in this world or people in this world who, who don't have such a reason to be thankful. Um, we read about the, the, the crash in, in Glasgow earlier this week where six people died on a freak accident. Um, we read about uh, in Pakistan how, how Islamic extremists um, attacked a school. And te- if you don't know already, that 10 years ago was the, uh, the Boxing Day tsunami where, where hundreds of thousands of people's lives were decimated. Um, and all of these things around the Christmas period really can make Christmas really difficult time for people. And um, I'm just very aware that Sometimes the hype and the, the way society gears up to Christmas means that everything's so focused on having this wonderful experience of being together and family and good tidings. And at the same time, um, for a lot of people, they don't experience that. So I just thought this morning, I just wanted to just do a very short prayer, just to acknowledge that, just to acknowledge that there are people in this world who are at this moment in time suffering, not to put a dampener on any of our celebration today, but just acknowledge it and um, just as a way, as a church family, just to acknowledge that God is still doing something in each of these situations. And um, we can just somehow empathize with, with the pain and the loss of, 
of those who are really suffering this Christmas time. So maybe we could just spend just a few seconds, I'm just going to lead us in prayer. Um, Father, I thank you that um, we get to experience so much of, of Christmas, which so many others do not. We get to experience, firstly and foremostly, your, your birth and your coming, and our eyes are open to you. But we also get to experience many other blessings of family, uh, of, of life, um, of celebration, of not being simply just alone at this Christmas period. And I pray, Lord, for many of those this Christmas, which is because of situations, circumstances, things have just turned themselves on their heads. And uh, we just cry out for those the families who have lost loved ones in, in, in Glasgow. We cry out for uh, those who are suffering in war, um, those who have lost their children um, in the shooting last week. And we just want to cry out and acknowledge, first and foremost, that you are a God who is in control still. And we ask that as a church... Um, we would have compassion and mercy, just as you showed compass- compassion and mercy to us. And uh, just lead us, God, into the places that you want to lead us this morning. As we read your word, as you speak to us about Jesus, um, as you just confirm in us, God, the truth of what Christmas means. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I'd, I'd love this morning to share from the book of John. So if you have uh, a Bible, that's fantastic. But I've also got some of the scripture, um, which Jess is just going to put up for us just so he leads us in, in what we're going to speak about today. So there's, there's three things I would love to bring to you this morning um, from the first chapter of John, the Gospel of John. Firstly, that um, when we think about Christmas, we know that our God that we worship is humble. The second one is our God is approachable. And the third point is that our God is in control. And the reason I want to share these things is purely because this Christmas season will, will pass, the turkey will be eaten, the uh, celebrations will put away our Christmas trees, will put away our lights, and all the fanfare that we, we do to build up Christmas will all go and back into the closet, or whatever it may seem. But yet, these three essential truths about Christmas, about Christ, will, will remain for us for the rest of the year and forever. So I want to just spend a bit of time just examining God's scripture, God's word, and allowing us just to understand and to take these things in. Um, so God is humble. I don't know how many of you saw uh, on the news last week uh, the Duchess of Cambridge and uh, Prince um, William were in, in America doing their, doing their tour of America, doing their thing and showing the American people what, how wonderful it is to have a royal family and they don't have one. Um, they seem to love it more than us sometimes, I think. But um, one of the things I, I really enjoy reading about is how whether celebrities or royalty, they, take, they go out of their way, don't they? They leave their $20,000 a night hotel and they go down and do some, um, some common tasks or menial things. And uh, I, just, I, just, I just love to see it because there was a really interesting news article uh, where the Duchess Cambridge was asked to go and wrap presents or invited to go and wrap presents for some underprivileged children in New York. And um, how the story goes is that she was wrapping presents, quite happily talking to the other people around, and somebody came and tapped her on her shoulder and said, um, keep wrapping presents, and did it in apparently a very unorthodox, very un... not, not the way you would treat a royalty. Um, they're Americans. Um, so it just, I just love the idea that royalty would go out of their way to go down to a common person's level and do some menial tasks to serve some people. And um, later on today, the Queen at 3 p.m., it's religious in our household, we always watch the Queen, at 3 p.m. is going to be um, giving her speech, and she's going to be probably reflecting on um, the events of the year and just addressing the people of the nation. 
And uh, I just really enjoy our royals, actually. I really enjoy the royal family. And I love it how they go out of their way to come down and acknowledge the difficulties in this world, what people are going through, and just share something of what the common man and woman are doing in this land. Because they are high and lifted up. They are living in the palace. They're exalted. But at the same time, they're thinking and they have concern about the normal people in this life. And that gives us a little glimpse, I think. It's not the full picture, but it gives us a glimpse of what Jesus did at Christmas. That Jesus is and always will be high and lifted up and exalted. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. Yet at the same time, he knows that his position is not something that he, he keeps, but he comes down to our level at Christmas. He comes down beyond the level of humanity, some would say. He comes into poverty. He comes as a baby born in a manger. And, the, and John, um, at the beginning of John, summarizes this beginning. The beginning of the Gospels is this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is Jesus. The Word we're talking about here is, is God. It's the Son of God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him not anything that was made. And we skip to verse 14, and it says, The Word, Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Here we read that God, the Son of God, is exalted. He is from the beginning. Jesus wasn't created at Christmas. He existed eternally but he was revealed to us as the Son of God in Jesus Christ at Christmas time. He was God. There's no doubt about that. He was truly, fully God. He made everything. At the same time, somehow, he was also fully man. And I had some Jehovah Witnesses come and visit me last Saturday, and they made their annual visit, and probably because of Christmas, and they asked me at the doorstep, um, would you like to be closest to God? And I thought, I am close to God. And uh, I said, yeah, I know Jesus. And then, no, 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 you don't really believe that Jesus is God, do you? And the, the importance of this doctrine that Jesus is fully God, fully man, divides religions, divides, has divided the church. Um, but for us to ponder and just to acknowledge that the great God of heaven, the creator of all things, became a human I, can, I understand in many ways why the Jehovah's Witnesses find it so difficult to understand, because it is unfathomable that a king would choose to subject himself to humanity, that one who is eternal, omnipotent, everlasting, would choose to place himself in a limited body with pain and with suffering and with grief. And that's the wonder of the incarnation, the wonder of the mystery of, Christ, of Christmas, that Jesus became a human but also shows us something about his God's character, that he is humble. I love it how C.S. Lewis describes humility. Um, C.S. Lewis says it this way, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. So Jesus never thought he was less important or less God. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's taking, God has thought, I am high exalted, I know I am. Yet, I do not want to keep that of myself. I'm thinking of the world. I'm thinking of us, people who are dying, people who are in sin. And I'm going to humble myself. Jesus is not a typical king. He's not 
the, the kings who, who stay in their thrones and stays in their palaces. He is the king who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And I think Paul summarizes it best. He summarizes the humility of God, the humility of Christ in Philippians 2, that though being in the very nature of God, he did not consider quality of God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, and here's the key point, he made himself nothing. The equivalence of God stepping into humanity is the equivalence of becoming absolutely nothing. The extremes, it's, it's not simply the queen stepping off her throne, it's something even greater than that. It's a God becoming nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So it's Christmas, I want us just to remind ourselves that our God, his nature, he is humble. He did not stay up in heaven, but he came to us. The second point I want to bring to us is that God is approachable. Um, just, just read from, from, uh, one, from John 1, verse 9. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God. I've just highlighted a few words in this, in this particular passage. Um, and you might notice here that the Christmas story and this passage is all about God initiating, God doing things first, God stepping down to history. He was the one who was coming into the world. God planned it. Um, he is the one who came, and he's the one who gave. He's the one who acted it out. Left to ourselves, we would never be able to approach God. Left to ourselves, we would always fall short of being up to standard, which God requires for us to approach him. Yet at Christmas time, we, we, we rejoice and we, we celebrate because God has not left us in this state. He has initiated the reconciliation. He has come to us. He has come and approached us first. And that's a wonderful thing to think about. It's a wonderful thing to think that God considers us and he thinks about us. The God of this universe decides that he knows that we are on our own, left on our own but he comes to us in Christ. And it's not only the fact that God comes to us, it's the way he comes to us as well. God doesn't come with an entourage, and he doesn't come with flaming chariots, and you know, come, he didn't come and, and, and hang out with all the kings and the rulers. He comes as a baby. He comes meek and lowly. He comes humbly. He comes to our level, where all men can come and know and relate to him. Did you ever notice in the Gospels who comes and draws near to Jesus? It's the tax collectors, the sinners, the outcasts, the poor, the needy, the sick. Isn't it wonderful that God doesn't count himself so high that he can't associate with the lowliest of people, for he himself was lowly, meek and mild? I don't know how many of you um, have the opportunity to travel on the tube every day. If you ever travel through London, you know how appalling um, it's probably getting better, but I don't know how many of you have ever travelled on the tube during rush hour? Yeah. Sweaty armpits, especially during summer. Sweaty armpits, crowded, probably delays. You know, you plan for half an hour delays when you travel in London on the tube. And generally, it can be quite an uncomfortable experience. But the one thing that really makes me laugh uh, is when I read the Metro and I see, oh, look, a celebrity has travelled on the tube. 
you ever notice that? I think uh, last year, this time, it was uh, Harry Styles in One Direction. That people were shocked that the biggest boy band in the world, this, this, this guy, was traveling on the tube. Like, why? Why isn't, why isn't he in his limo? Why isn't he flying a helicopter across, uh, across London or taking his, you know, you know, whatever it is that he would travel by? Or maybe it's Rihanna or something, taking selfies. Why would she subject herself to the common man and common woman? Because they are high and exalted, lifted up on the stage. They're crowded in mystery, singing their songs, and people are worshipping them. Um, but, uh, you know, the celebrities as well, how is it that they would choose to step away from their entourage or step away from their bodyguards or maybe the restraining orders, if you're too keen? Um, <laughs> And, and choose to travel alongside us common people on the tube. But that's, in a way, exactly what, what Christ has done. Christ has decided to step down from his place in heaven and travel on the tube with us. He's taken on, he understands, he knows the uncomfortableness, he knows the pain, the griefs of this life. So God doesn't approach us as one high lifted up, he approaches as one who has travelled alongside us acknowledging the pain and everything else that comes with this life. Hebrews 4 um, simply puts it as this. We have a great high priest, Jesus the Son of God. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. If we are in any doubt who our God is and what he is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus, his life, the way he lived, the way he responded to people, the way he invited everyone to come in. We hear his comfort, we hear his invitation in the Gospels, and it says, come to me all who are weary and have burdened, and I will give you rest. And the promise here in, in John is that all who receive him, all who believe in his name, he gives right to become children of God. That is what God does. He approaches us so that we can approach him. And the last point I just want to make is, is that God is in control. God is sovereign. Now, in light of all that's going on in this world, um, it, it's sometimes hard to believe that, that there is a God who is in control and is a God who is in charge of the circumstances and the governments and the decisions that are made that seem so dark and oppressive. Yet, we read here in, in verse 5, that Christmas, we see God's sovereignty, God's total control over the whole, whole world. Let's get the next, the next slide. Jesse. <laughs> so verse 5 reads, um, Light shines in the darkness. So Jesus shines in the darkness, or God shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I know many of us here, I can look around, there's many kids here, have, have been mothers, and, um, or are mothers, not work mothers now, you aren't mothers now, but how many of you had, had a birth plan? It's quite, I don't know if it's a contemporary thing, that we're supposed to have a birth plan when we have our children. Um, you're supposed to decide how you want it, where you want it, who you're having it with. And, um, we, and, and there's great efforts at the moment to, in, 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 in modern day society to plan your birth so that nothing will go wrong. Nothing, no, you'll minimize your pain, you'll minimize discomfort, uh, you'll minimize waiting times. And it's all a very personalized um, thing that we go through, that, that families go through. 
But I'm sure all of us know, those who have had kids, know that sometimes birth plans don't always go to plan. Um, I remember when we had Bethan, uh, I think it was three weeks early, and uh, which isn't out of time, but um, and she's water broke, and we hadn't packed anything. We were just like running like headless chickens going, oh, it's coming, it's coming. And then about four days later, she still hadn't come. Um, so we had a bit of time. And then when Isabel came, and she started having contractions a week early, and we were just sitting around uh, for, for a week, wanting this baby to come out. Uh, but did you know that God had a birth plan for his son? God had a perfect, sovereign, totally in control birth plan. We read here that, um, and you know the story well, but in, in, if you look at the, the, the Gospel of Luke, Mary was, it wasn't a perfect, it didn't look like a perfect birth plan, but here's, here it is. He gave Jesus to a young, unmarried, poor girl. And the ruling powers decided that Mary, being heavily pregnant, should travel probably about 80 miles, which is four or five days travel on foot or on donkey, down from uh, Nazareth down to Bethlehem, and I trust you, donkey or walking probably isn't very com- is neither as comfortable when you're carrying a baby. Um, the government at the time there was a jealous king called Herod, and he felt threatened by the coming Messiah, and he ordered all children to be to be slaughtered under the age of two. Um, and basically, Mary and Joseph, in the formative years as a family, were were told and were, had to go and flee to Egypt as refugees. So in modern-day society, it would be the equivalent of um, the scandal of, of, of the year. Um, you would be the, if you were Mary, you would be the front page of the local newspaper, name and shame, the girl or the woman who, who gave birth outside of, um, outside of marriage. Um, you would, it would be the equivalent of you, men, I know we can't relate to this, but we would be carrying a sack of potatoes um, carrying around our abdomen, strapped to our abdomen. You can get those pregnancy suits apparently now, which try and simulate what it's like for women. But um, you'd be carrying these sack of potatoes all the way from St. Albans down to Brighton on foot. It's a pretty long way. It would be the equivalent of you giving birth on a dairy farm. It would be equivalent of the government and uh, basically deciding that you are a terrorist and calling, causing you to flee, on the, probably on a, on a truck going back to Calais. Um, to France to flee for your lives with your family. That would be the modern day equivalent of the Christmas story, the perfect birth plan that God put together for his son. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? Who would want to give birth in those circumstances? Well, thankfully, I don't have to as a man, but uh, who would want anybody to go through those, those circumstances? Yet, this is exactly the divine, sovereign plan that God put in place for the entrance of his beloved son. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not Nazareth, to fulfill God's prophecy that the Savior would come from Bethlehem and fulfill the lineage of David. It was God's plan to send his angels to comfort and assure Mary that everything was according to his plan. It was God who led the wise men away from Herod so that um, Herod would not know the exact birthplace of Jesus. And then he sent angels to warn Joseph to leave um, Bethlehem and flee to Egypt. All these things were God's sovereign plan to fulfill his purpose. Be in no doubt that God is always in control, despite the darkness that comes. He is the light that shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And God's plan doesn't just end at Christmas. His plan is from Christmas, it's from eternity through Christmas, through to the end of time, 
where he will come and he will save this world and no darkness will thwart it. Now, that's, this, that's the easy part to understand about God's sovereignty. The difficult part, I find, is that God is, is not that God is sovereign, but that he invites us, his people, to be involved in his sovereign plan. Do you notice in the Christmas story how Mary isn't anything special? She's just a girl who hears God's calling, responds and acts and trusts in faith and obedience. You see that Joseph, again, just a normal human, hears God's voice, acts in faith and obedience and takes Mary, takes care of the child, brings him up. In this verse here, in, in verse 6, it says, purely at the very bottom, uh, talking about, the, about John, it talks about John, that he was not the light. He was only a witness to light. And that's all that we are called to as a church. We are called to carry this gospel message of Jesus Christ, to carry the light and be witnesses to it, and to share in God's sovereign plan to bring it to the world, to be witnesses to that light. It's amazing that God would choose to carry out his sovereign plan through, through us, frail, weak, definitely not sovereign, but that's the invitation, that's the great invitation of Christmas, that he not just does his plan, he does it through people. He does it, and he will do it through his church. And we might, if, if I was God, I probably wouldn't trust, uh, trust, maybe, I wouldn't trust me. But this is what um, Paul describes as the wisdom of God. That man's foolishness is the wisdom of God. Um, wisdom of man is that God's foolishness. So as we close this morning, I just want to bring us to a place where we just acknowledge the fact that we love Jesus because he is humble and he has come to us. We just adore him because of his goodness to us. But we also recognize that in this crazy world where many things are going wrong, we can trust in a God who is good and he is sovereign and in control. And lastly, we can trust in this year ahead. I know that next year the, the, the theme and the focus is about being fruitful. And I pray that these truths would, would not simply leave us at the season, but they would carry on into the year ahead, that we can know that God is shining in the darkness, and darkness will not overcome it. And the way he will do it is through his church, through his people, who bear witness to that light. So maybe we could just pray. Maybe we could just, just acknowledge again that God is so good, that God is, without Christ, we are just left and abandoned. But in him, we become and have the right to become children of God. Father, I thank you that this morning, uh, it is a day of celebration. It is a day where we cry out, hallelujah, Emmanuel, God is with us. We cry out that, God, you are God incarnate, that you are God, fully God, fully man. You bring us to the Father. We just adore you, Jesus, for your humility. We adore you for your love for us. And we say, God, as your church, that we want to be part of this sovereign plan to bring this light, this glorious light that we experience into this world. And we thank you that darkness will not overcome it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.